May 30th, 2019, NBA Finals Focus. The NBA Finals, a little later on this evening when I'm recording this. We'll be talking basketball movies throughout the show. So NBA preview, kind of NBA-themed show. And what I decided was what we'll do over the next, you know, two months or so, every week will be a different themed week. And in that week, we'll talk about the best movies, some of your favorite movies of that particular sport. So we start with basketball this week. Next week, since it's the Belmont, we'll talk horse racing. Talk some of your favorite horse racing movies. The week after, we'll go to maybe a... Maybe hockey, hockey with the Stanley Cup final right now. These next few weeks and the the, the season ending, or uh, we can we can wait on that one. We can talk some baseball. We'll we'll figure it out. But we'll set things up so each week I'll continue to have these themed weeks. And make sure to get to Twitter. Follow me at it's me Gino B. I've been having polls where you vote on which movie you like better between the two or between a group. Anytime you see when I put a poll up, if I ask a question, if I'm at, I'm looking for your comments or your advice, it makes it so much easier for me if you post, if you like, if you retweet, if you give a prediction. Any, it just gives me so much more content, um, topics to you know go back and forth with you, answer your questions, respond. So please do that anytime you get the opportunity. This week's show... We'll be on this day segment, NBA Finals predictions. We'll do the basketball movie segment, a little wrestling with uh, All Elite Wrestling, Double or Nothing, and then horse racing at the end. Belmont preview. Uh, we're still about a week and a half out from the Belmont, but we'll talk a little bit about that Friday, Saturday at, on the Belmont weekend, and I will give you a couple horses to wager on this weekend couple horses to bet this weekend at one at Santa Anita, one at Penn National. So I'll give you a couple plays for the weekend. Everybody always wants a, a horse or two to get to, to wager on. So let's start with on this day, May the 30th. We'll notice when you're looking back through history, a lot of May the 30th, you see Indy 500s. French championships, Belmonts, Preaknesses really early on. You know, 1907, Peter Pan won the Belmont. Back in 1890, it was the first ever Dodger home run. Big Dodger fan here. 1894, Bobby Lowe was the first player ever to hit four home runs in a baseball game. 1927, lots of baseball early on here. 1927, Walter Johnson records... His 113th shutout. Walter Johnson was second, is second all time with 417 career victories. A 2.17 ERA. He won 25 games, seven different seasons. Six different times. He had 33 or more complete games in a year. Just a different era. 1935, Babe Ruth. Played his final baseball game. I think we've heard of him before, huh? Baby Ruth. Dennis Eckersley, who, you know, probably the younger generation and people that are in in my age range remember him 
as a closer, but he was a starter early on in his career. Uh, in 1977, on May the 30th, he no-hit the Angels, winning that game 2 to nothing. He was an All-Star that year. He won 14 games. It was his first All-Star selection before he became a closer when he came over to the A's. 1986, Barry Bonds makes his MLB debut. 14-time All-Star, 7-time MVP, 762 home runs. The the thought with Bonds was always when he debuted in early on in his career, I mean, he was so good early and he was thought of as, you know, one of the best, if not the best, because he had all the tools, hit, could field, run, everything. He could do it all. And then everybody else started taking steroids and Bonds saw his numbers and become minuscule compared to everyone else. And so allegedly Bonds, uh, got involved in in all the steroids, HGH, all all that. So, you know, we never know how he will be remembered in history if those numbers will be tainted. 762 home runs. It's a big day for baseball history, right? Couple couple big firsts. Walter Johnson, Babe Ruth, and Barry Bonds when they're mentioned on a date. It's a pretty important uh kind of an, an interesting Date that that it's totally random, right? That all just different events happen on the on the thirtieth, nineteen ninety six. Albert Bell, remember the forearm to Fernando Vina's nose when he got suspended a couple of games? That big forearm from Albert Bell. Guy could mash. He could hit the ball. Let's go even farther back and kind of out of the sports realm for a minute. Fourteen thirty one. Joan of Arc was burned at the stake in France. Saint Joan of Arc, who saw visions. 1539, Hernando de Soto discovered Florida between Tampa, nowadays Tampa, and Charlotte Harbor. In 1806, the future U.S. President Andrew Jackson killed Charles Dickinson in a duel. Okay, Perez. 1967, Evil Knievel motorcycle jumped 16 automobiles in Gardena, California. 2003, Finding Nemo released in the U.S. and Canada. Everybody loves Finding Nemo. Dory. On this day, get to basketball. So the NBA Finals start. Toronto Raptors. They're at home. They're the home team. Against the Golden State Warriors. Obvious questions. Kevin Durant. When will he, if at all, play? He is not playing in game one. Does he play at all? Remember, he's a free agent at the end of the season. Does he come back, risk an injury on what could be a huge contract for him in the offseason when Golden State might be able to win without him? Does Does he sit and wait if they get up one or two games? Does he just keep waiting and, and maybe wait till they lose? And if they don't lose, maybe he doesn't come back at all. I think it's a it's a fluid situation. What about Kawhi? What is his health like? He looked a little bit banged up. I mean, he obviously still won the game, carried Toronto over Milwaukee those last couple games. Kawhi has scored at least 35 points. Seven different times 
in this playoffs here in this playoffs. The record is 10. There are six different people that have 10. He has the opportunity to get to 10, maybe even 11. Who knows? 12. Durant and Curry both have scored 35 or more five times this year. And recently it's been Steph who's taken over when Durant's been hurt. Because the Warriors are 31-1 in their last 32 games when Kevin Durant is out. Think about that. Curry's playing. Durant's out. When Curry plays and Durant is out, they are 31-1 and in their last 32. Fifth straight finals for the Golden State Warriors. They're trying to win their third in a row. First NBA finals ever for Toronto. So already that trade, trading DeRozan to bring you back Kawhi for a year, even if Kawhi does not come back, even if Kawhi does not resign with Toronto, making it to the finals for the first time, having an opportunity to play for an NBA championship, all worth it. All worth it. Does Kawhi leave now? That's what's very interesting about this series. Obviously, a lot good series on the court. Kawhi and his strength in Toronto versus Golden State and the perennial powerhouse that they've been. But there's a lot off the court, too, with, you know, KD, Kawhi, Clay Thompson, Gasol's another one. Where are some of these? Players going to be next year. If Kawhi leaves, does that mean all of a sudden that Toronto re- is in rebuilding mode a little bit, and then maybe they look to get rid of Lowry and and move and and kind of go young and rebuild? Who knows? A lot can happen depending on the results of this series. Or maybe is Kawhi's mind already made up? Does it even matter what happens here? This game opened up as with the Warriors minus one. It is now Toronto minus one and a half. So this game has moved a couple points, which is interesting, right? Because if the Warriors are the big series favorite, they're going to be the underdog every time they're on the road. It doesn't really make sense, right? So if you like Toronto, maybe the series price is is a good wager. The I have a tough time making any of the wagers of Who's going to win in in how many games? Because we don't know with some of the injuries. Like Cousins is supposed to play now in game one. Are we going to see Duran at all? I I I trust Kawhi obviously, but if you told me that Kawhi was banged up and 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 missed a game or two because he re injured or re aggravated one of his previous injuries, it wouldn't shock me. So I, I don't really like playing the total series in Latin, like from an underdog standpoint, a little bit more than Golden State. I think it's just better to play these games one game at a time. If you're looking for someone to play in the MVP, like a total long shot, I don't, I don't think he, if Toronto wins, it's most likely going to be Kawhi. But Kyle Lowry's a, a pretty big price depending on where you look. So shop around and try to find the biggest price that you can if you're if you're wanting to just take a, a crazy shot on someone. And Kyle Lowry's interesting because he's going to be in the NBA Finals for the first time now. He's a five-time All-Star. And he's a good example of why not everybody follows or fits the same prototype in the NBA. It took him a while to get going. He was not instantly a star, was not instantly a contributor. It took him changing teams a couple different times in order for him to really succeed. 
He had to leave the Grizzlies. Then he had to go to Houston. He didn't start in Houston right away. But then he took a big step in Houston. Where in one year, he went from being a 27% three-point shooter to a 37% three-point shooter. That doesn't sound like a lot. That is massive. That 10% is huge. That puts you at a bat from a bad, below average, bad three-point shooter to an above average, good three-point shooter. And that really has kind of changed his career. He averaged 19.2 points in the conference finals, 5.5 rebounds, 5.5 assists, and he shot 46% from three. And he's been a player who has not really stepped up and he has been one that has gotten a lot of flack for some of his weak playoff runs when it was with the Rose in. But that has not been the case this time. Whether it be because Kawhi is consistently every every night there, and that takes a little bit of the pressure away from, from Lowry. But just remember, when you're watching players, now they don't all have to be a player that's ready to go in year one, year two, year three even. Sometimes it takes four, five, six, seven years and it takes changing your scenery, right? D'Angelo Russell is a good example. He had a really good year for Brooklyn. As a Laker fan, I'm not upset that he did well. Because I like D'Angelo here in, in LA, but I just don't think he ever would have had the opportunity to succeed here because things didn't really go well for him to begin with. He had to deal with a couple different you know, management teams, different coaches, had to deal with you know, he little immature immaturity issues. He came and kind of thought he was going to be the man and the savior. It was just a little bit off. The fit was off. And I, he went to Brooklyn and he succeeded. And now whether it's Brooklyn or someone else, D'Angelo's going to get a big payday. And I think, you know, when when I look at the Lakers young guys right now and I I kind of see around the league how down on them people are. And I think it's a little, obviously it's a little bit of Laker hate, but I think some people just are a little impatient because we expect these players to come in right away and instantly hit. But not all of them are going to be that way. Some of them have a, just a gradual progression of improvement. Some of them are the best they're ever going to be in year one or year two, and then they regress. And the league figures them out. They don't improve. They don't work hard enough. Kyle Lowry worked very hard to improve his game. I'm always happy to see someone like that make it to a, a big stage. And uh, best of luck to Kyle Lowry in the finals. I honestly just don't think, though, Toronto has quite enough. Siakam's been inconsistent. He was very good all year, but in the playoffs, he has been a little bit inconsistent. Defensively, he's excellent. And that's what Toronto's going to need to do. They're going to need to play very good defense because they have scoring lapses. And they're going to have times where I don't know if they're going to be able to keep up with Golden State offensively. Siakam, Gasol, Van Fleet will be key key kind of wild card X factor players that can swing games if they you know can get to double digit 10 12 15 points and really help Kawhi out a little bit posted a poll on Twitter asking who do you think and wins the NBA finals and how Raptors in four games or five games only three percent Raptors in six games or seven games 17 percent so 20% on the Raptors side. 52% of people 
selected the Warriors in four or five, and 28% selected the Warriors in six or seven. So the Warriors, 80%, the Raptors, 20, and out of those four choices, 52% of people are picking the Warriors in four or five. Over on Facebook, ask for your NBA Finals predictions. Dan Barrett. Anyone going against the reigning champs are going to be sore Kyle Roll, Raptors in 6 Good luck Kyle John Andrew McCormick What's up Johnny boy? Raptors in 7 How about them Dodgers lately John, huh? Playing some good, good ball Mark Anderson Warriors in 5 Howard Chinchuk He says Golden State in 6 Gary Williams Warriors in 6 John doesn't really like this uh, this particular NBA Finals, John Canuck. Greg Howes disagrees. Said, Given the international popularity of the Warriors, Curry, Durant to a lesser degree, Kawhi Leonard's a top five player, and Toronto has enough visibility in Canada to attract plenty of interest. So Golden State, he doesn't think Durant will play. Uh, Cousins coming into the rotation. He said the Raptors have Leonard. They beat a very good Bucks team. They have a big home court advantage. Warriors beat a depleted and dimensional Blazers team with their big man out. And uh, Cousins and Durant could be huge factors. Ibaka, Gasol, Siakam, Leonard, Lowry seems to be the play to take Toronto to win the series at a big price. Okay. Luck, Greg Howes. Scott Powell, Warriors in six. Nick Pihu, Warriors in six. Joey Q, Joe Killen, Toronto in six. John Soup Campbell, Warriors in seven. Michael Sharkey, <laughs> he talks horse racing. Bolo. Timothy Sullivan, Raptors in four. Richard Hommel, Raptors in seven. Oh, Raptors in four. Okay. Richard Hommel, Raptors in seven. Robert Martinez, Warriors in four or five. Boom. And Tim Seals, Toronto in seven. Thank you for all of your thoughts. Remember, anytime you see a question out there, Make sure to to send in your thoughts. I, I'll pick Warriors in six. That seems like what everybody's picking. I think the Warriors win. I think the, the Toronto is going to play them very, very tough, though. They're going to make them work for it. As long as Kawhi's healthy, they will win a couple games, and this will be a series. Had a lot of fun talking basketball movies with everybody this week. So what we did was, since it's NBA Finals week, wanted to talk basketball movies. What are your favorite basketball movies? Any movies really that involve basketball, you know, as a central part of the plot. And went through and got 32. So I'll give you a quick list of the 32. These were the top, the the top seeds. Hoosiers, blue chip, white blue chips, white men can't jump. He got game. Hoop Dreams, Above the Rim, Space Jam, Coach Carter. I was fielding tweets, messages, getting everybody's input, reading some articles, going through everything, and those were the ones that came up the most. Those were the ones that everybody mentioned. So those were the ones that got to buy. Those were your top eight seeds that that got to buy first through first round through. Then I put everyone into groups. The rest. So group one was Love and Basketball, good USC movie. And the next door neighbors fall in love And then they grow up, go to college They're excellent players at USC, really good O, Othello Josh Hartnett, Mackay Pfeiffer, Julia Stiles Finding Forrester, the air up there So those were the four 
Love and Basketball, oh, Finding Forrester of the Air up there. That was one group. Love and Basketball won that group with 44%. Oh, only had 8%. Finding Forrester only had 27 The Air up there only had 21 Uncle Drew, next group, second group, was Uncle Drew, Thunderstruck, Joanna Man, and Like Mike. Uncle Drew had 21%, Thunderstruck had 7%, Joanna Man had 28%. But like Mike wins the group with 44%. I actually think Joanna Man's kind of an entertaining, entertaining movie. We see the premise done a lot of different times where either a girl or a guy gets kicked off or can't, you know, get involved in whatever. And so they dress up like the opposite in order to, you know, to fool everyone. Like Mike gets by in that group. Next group was Sunset Park. That's the Rhea Perlman movie where she's the inner city coach. Cornbread Earl and Me uh, About the Wrongful Murder uh, The guy was Growing up wrongfully accused of a murder Had to go to jail It was uh, very good Rebound the documentary About the wheelchair basketball And then Glory Road In that group of four Sunset Park, Cornbread Earl and Me, Rebound And Glory Road Glory Road won with 65% Semi-Pro and Basketball Diaries That was a one-on-one matchup Semi-Pro won with 59% Basketball Diaries Really intense movie with Leo With Mark Wahlberg If you've never seen that, go back and watch it It's, it's excellent uh, They're prospects in New York They're coming up at a basketball famous basketball academy And they really good players But they just get hooked on drugs And really addicted to drugs And it's... Uh, very gripping and extremely intense. Very good movie, but not an uplifting type movie. Um, good, good basketball, good basketball flick though, and it just it shows them the pressures and and you know how you could have everything in one moment and it could all be gone very quickly. One on one. Wow, I really liked watching One on One I'd never seen the movie One on One Until a bunch of people started mentioning it So I went back And I uh, I watched One on One If you've never seen One on One Go check it out um, It's about player Who, small Good basketball player He gets a scholarship out to Western And he gets you know paid to come out there but when he comes out, obviously he's much smaller than everybody else. He's from Colorado. He's not used to the California lifestyle. And the first scene, he is getting robbed, which is really, you know, this girl says, give me all your money or I'm going to scream. She she asks him for a ride somewhere and she says, give me all your money. I'm going to scream rape. And and he, he doesn't know what to do. He gives her his money. He drops her. He lets her out of the car. Gets taken advantage of her and she takes his money and when he's going out with a couple of the players on the team that he meets, he talks about all the fine restaurants they have in Colorado. McDonald's, Jack in the Box, and Arby's. He takes... He's struggling, trying to get on the court, trying to improve, takes some drugs, hoping it's going to be better. He's just kind of listening to people. He's very impressionable. And it takes the coach asking him to renounce his scholarship... For him to really, the kid to really say, you know what? I got to focus. I got to work hard. I'm going to work harder than everyone else. And you can see he raises his work ethic to the next level. And 
he gets an opportunity when a couple other players get hurt, some foul trouble. He gets the opportunity to come in, and in a, a final scene, you know, he's he's able to uh, to win the day in his uh, typical older movie, the relationship with the tutor. Good quote, all the way up with a red hot poker. Huh? All the way up with a red hot poker. That was a good one. One on one. So one on one was against the fish that saved Pittsburgh. One on one, one 53-47. That was a very close one. The next group of four was Airbud, Teen Wolf, Celtic Pride, and Basketball. And Airbud had 18%. Celtic Pride, 21%. Basketball, 21%. But it was Teen Wolf with 40%. And Teen Wolf won. And so far, Teen Wolf was no doubt the kind of Cinderella story. I think was not really expecting Teen Wolf to do so well. But I was very happy because I love Teen Wolf. And my dad actually built... Michael J. Fox's house in the late 80s in Bel Air here. When Michael J. Fox was one of the biggest stars in the world, my dad built his house over a couple years. He was the general contractor, Bacola Construction. I have pictures over there. I have a like a Hot Wheels size style DeLorean car, Power Wheels. I have two of them. They're both signed by Michael J. Fox. I used to ride around in one of them, and the other one we have hanging up is a collector's item. They're just these awesome real limited edition and I've always loved Michael J. Fox I've always loved Back to the Future and everything and Teen Wolf was a huge hit in 1985 Michael J. Fox was 23 years old one of the funny things about the movie is how old some of the the people are playing you know 17, 16, 17, 18 year old high schoolers Michael J. Fox is 23 the actress who played Boof was 27 the actor who played Styles was 28 the actor who played Chubby was 27 some great things in Teen Wolf Michael J. Fox just a great actor but just not athletic looking small and does not look like a basketball player he has to jump for the free throw when he shoots a free throw high dribbling kind of weird off behind the back passes he finds out that he's a werewolf he becomes a werewolf and, and who would have thought that werewolves are good at basketball. He starts hot-dogging. Kind of a weird relationship with his good friend becomes girlfriend, Boof, and his dad. They're playing like one-on-one basketball. It's kind of a little goofy, goofy relationship. <laughs> a good quote from uh, Scott's Scott is the name of the character that Michael J. Fox plays in Teen Wolf. And his coach says, three things to live by. Never get less than 12 hours sleep. Don't ever play cards with a guy who has the same first name as a city. And never go near a lady who has a tattoo of a dagger on her body. The final sequence, the basketball sequence, when he decides that he won't be the werewolf and he's just going to be himself. And he is jumping all over the place. He is so excited, so excitable. It's actually, I mean, he is just flinging himself all over, jumping into everyone's arms. Chubby setting screens, hitting buckets. We get this incredible, you know, finishing, you know, 
15 minutes or so where you get two amazing songs. You get win in the end. But, you know, the one that I like at the end is when you're shooting for the moon and finally make it. Guess a lucky star is shining on you. The candle on the cake is yours, so take it and make another wish. It's sure to come true. Gosh, some good, good 80s jams there. Let's go through the, the Michael J. Fox final sequence, right? He comes into the game, they're down 22 points. It's 32 to 10. <laughs> he is just on fire. Absolutely on fire. He ends up with 15 points on five out of six. We only see him miss one shot in this game. All of a sudden, regular Michael J. Fox is just incredible at basketball now. 15 points, 5 out of 6 shooting, 6 assists. It was a perfect 5 for 5 from the free throw line in the shots that we see, the jump free throws. He has 2 steals. They end up winning the game. The final score is 52-51. When he comes into the game, his team scores 42 points. Of those 42 points, MJ scored or assisted on 27 of 42. And yes, I do mean MJ. Michael J. Fox. The greatest basketball player of, of all. That's the MJ I'm talking about, right? When you're shooting for the moon and finally make it, guess a lucky star is shining on you. Oh, that's going to be stuck in my head for for a while. And the last, that was a tangent. The last group we had was Forget Paris had 12% in the vote. Fast Break had 24%. The sixth man won that group with 38%. And then Eddie with a whoopee at 27%. What I noticed, so that was Forget Paris, Fast Break, the sixth man, and Eddie. And that was the uh, the group that the sixth man won. You notice when kind of moving through each round, there aren't a lot of really good NBA movies. Seems like we have good high school basketball movies, good college basketball movies, gambling basketball, street basketball movies, movies where you have basketball players against aliens. Not a whole lot of good NBA in the basketball movies. So the next round, Love and Basketball matched up with He Got Game. He Got Game won that 67% to 33%. Little um, Hoosiers was... Matched up with Like Mike, Like Mike, 16%. Hoosiers, 84%. Moving on. It was a three-way battle with Glory Road, Hoop Dreams, and Above the Rim. Glory Road, 25%. Hoop Dreams, winner, 39%. Above the Rim, 36%. A very tight battle between Semi-Pro and Space Jam. Semi-Pro, 47%. Space Jam wins, 53%. That was a tight one. One One-on-one, even after my ringing endorsements, could not get by. White men can't jump. 12% for one-on-one, white man can't jump, 88%. We had a dead heat, an actual dead heat through 140 votes. Teen Wolf and Coach Carter tied. They were 50% each. So I, I split the two of them up in the next round and put him in different in a different uh, matchup because figured give him another opportunity and uh, and split him up. And in the last matchup, the sixth man and blue chips. The sixth man had eleven percent. Blue chips crushed with eighty nine percent. So we're down to the elite eight, folks. 
Hoosiers, he got game. They're hooking up right now in the early voting. Hoosiers with a, a commanding 80 to 20%. Second matchup, Hoop Dreams and Space Jam. Space Jam! After the tight victory to get by semi-pro Space Jam, 64% over Hoop Dreams, 36%. White men can't jump. 79% over Coach Carter, 21%. In the final matchup, Blue Chip, 66% over Teen Wolf, 34%. Some thoughts on uh, on a couple of the other movies. It It's looking like our top four are going to be Hoosiers, Blue Chips, White Man Can't Jump, Space Jam. So let's get some thoughts on the four of them. Hoosiers. Not only is Hoosiers considered one of the best basketball movies of all time, it's talked about as one of the best sports movies of all time, period. It's a little old, though, and when you watch some things that don't quite hold up, but it gives you that feel-good, want-to-go-out-and-shoot hoops feeling. Remember, at least four passes. Four passes before you shoot. And the Hoosiers team is struggling when the new coach comes in, Gene Hackman. Small town city. They love their basketball. But their best player, Jimmy, Jimmy Chitwood, he's not playing on the team. He is emotionally scarred by some dramatic events and he barely speaks. But after a rough start to the season, They have a town hall meeting to figure out if they're going to fire their coach or not. And Jimmy comes in and he sticks up for the coach. Says, if coach, I'll play, but only if coach stays. And so the town that was just about to vote to get rid of Gene Hackman says, we're going to leave him here because Jimmy, Jimmy's playing. There is an incredible article that I'm going to tweet out and post from Bill Simmons. And it was written years ago. It's called Who's Your Daddy, the Sports Guy. And he basically goes through, similar to what I did with uh, the Michael J. Fox Teen Wolf scene, he goes through the entire movie and he tries to find out what the box scores are in some of the parts, in particular the final game and how many points Jimmy scores and, and what the box score looks like. And he mentions that in the entire movie, he only misses they they only show Jimmy missing four shots. <laughs> Coach visits. He has in the Bill Simmons article. He has different like time codes. Jimmy makes his first thirteen shots in the sequence, missing only the final one. He's fifteen for seventeen right now. Only Bob Cousy's shooting percentage during the surreal free throw shooting scene in Blue Chips was better. Done in one take, no less. We'll get the Blue Chips in just a minute. He, Jimmy Chitwood is an all time great basketball. Movie player, right? Just incredible. The legend. Then it, 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 you have the drunk assistant coach, Dennis Hopper. He knows basketball well. He helps him win a game when, when Gene Hackman gets thrown out. He sets up the D. You have Ollie, the team manager, who has to get into a, a couple of the games because they're injured and in foul trouble, and Ollie has to hit the granny. Style free throws. Then you have the big final game where they have to go to the big city and play in the uh, the state finals. And 
This is what Bill Simmons talks about with the with the final game with Jimmy. The team down 16-6. We haven't seen Hickory score yet, but the clock reads 734, which means these are eight-minute quarters. We're in the second quarter, and everyone but Jimmy was ice cold in the first quarter. Jimmy couldn't have been ice cold because, I mean, he's Jimmy Chitwood. We then see Jimmy score 26 of the, the next 36 Hickory points, all field goals, including the, Hick- the winning basket with Hickory winning 42-40. We see... Flat score twice, Wade and Buddy each scoring once. So we see 34 of the 42 points in all. So the box score reads something like this. Jimmy Chitwood, 32 minutes played, 14 for 18 field goals, two free free throws, six rebounds, two steals, 30 points. 30 of the 42. Just great. I love, that's why I'm such a big fan of Bill Simmons because he's, Dorky like me in that he will take the time to do something like this that so many people will say, What? Who cares? We care, that's who. Us crazy sports fans. Love that he went all the way back through that to figure out what the box score was in the the final game in Hickory's big championship season. So a couple of the other ones that look like they're going to be in the final four. Blue Chips. It's funny, Blue Chips wasn't very highly regarded initially when it came out. But I think it's it's held up better in the years since. There are a ton of star coach cameos, star player cameos. It's another one that takes place at Western University. You'll see in, in a lot of these movies too, a lot of crossover, right? There's movies where you know, like Dwayne Martin plays Kyle in Above the Rim. He also plays in White Man Can't Jump. Woody Harrelson's in White Man Can't Jump, and he's in Semi Pro. Um, we see some of these similar actors in multiple basketball movies, which is always kind of funny. As I, I had a tough week, as you can tell, researching, watching twenty five basketball movies uh, <laughs> to get ready for this segment. But what Blue Chips is mainly about is uh, a College basketball program That's a historic program And they've fallen on some tough years Coming off their first ever losing season They go out and To try to make a splash They pay for some of the recruits For some of the top recruits in the in the country To come in And they end up paying for Ricky Rowe Who's a, a Larry Bird type from Indiana and then Butch McRae, who's played by Anthony Hardaway, and Neon Badeau, who's played by Shaquille O'Neal. You see Rick Patino, Jim Beheim, Jerry Tarkanian, some other players, George Lynch, Bobby Hurley, Calbert Chaney. You see Bobby Knight in there with Indiana, Dickie V. All about the boosters, paying the players and their families, you know, shaving points. My favorite part the Shaq lob for the win! The lob to Shaq for the dunk reminded me of the Lakers versus Portland. That big dunk with uh, like 30 seconds left. I think it put the Lakers up like five or six and kind of was the seal, the deal lob from Kobe to Shaq for the win. And then the Bob Cousy scene is Bill Simmons had mentioned in the other in the article about Hoosiers. He just sitting there draining free throw after free throw after free throw. And they just kept letting him go until he missed. And... Finally, the coach, played by Nick Nolte, says, do you ever miss? Great scene. Love the movie. Love Blue Chips. Let's go to Space Jam. Is Space Jam really belong on the top, top 
basketball movies? Yes or no? I, I can see either side. It's a movie with cartoons, as Gabe Vartanian says out there. Michael Jordan's acting wasn't the best. I'd, I'd agree with that. But it is a, a good, I think, basketball movie. It starts at the very beginning when Michael Jordan's a kid. He's with his dad. He's out here out shooting and he keeps practicing and he won't stop practicing. And his dad passes away. And we see, you know, Michael's whole career. We see his dad pass away. And then we see after his dad passes away, Michael Jordan's retirement and his move to baseball. And it's funny, he's playing in the minor leagues and everybody just loves him. They're so nice to him, no matter how bad he is. He's terrible. He's hitting 214. He strikes out all the time. But everybody's like telling him how good he's doing and how, how good he looks. And the catcher from the opposing team is literally telling him what pitches are coming before they come, trying to give, give him the chance to hit the ball. And Michael still can't hit the ball. He's just so bad at baseball. We see a very young Jim Rome just ripping him. Michael, I'm out. Come on, Mike. Love Rome. One of my one of my geek out moments. Rome's when I got to interview Rome at the racetrack. I actually think a couple times I've had the, the opportunity to interview him. But when you're combining the worlds of you know sports and Michael Jordan, the brand of Michael Jordan and the NBA, the greatest player of all time, the most well known basketball player of all time, and you combine that with the Looney Tunes, it's set up, I think, for just a lot of fun. Honestly, Michael in, in you know the game against the Monstars, where Michael Jordan has to lead the Looney Tunes against the Monstars, and they're down big early on, like in, in in most of the the sports movies that we watch. And then they bring out Michael's secret stuff, and everybody gets pumped up. And Michael, what's funny, Michael. He ups the bet mid-game. He's considered a hero for upping the bet. In the next movie we're going to talk about, White Man Can't Jump, Woody Harrelson looks like, is a loser for upping his bet. Kind of funny how you can just kind of portray a movie differently. And Michael's Michael makes a bet that could have cost him his future forever. Woody makes a bet, and he loses the woman of his of his dreams, his love. <laughs> the thing about Space Jam The final sequence There's 10 seconds left on the clock And they start the clock That sequence takes a minute and 12 seconds It's a 10 second clock Give me 15, 20 But a minute and 12 I mean come on that's a little much A lot of big name NBA players though Barkley, Muggsy Bogue, Sean Bradley Patrick Ewing, Larry Johnson They show some other ones There's a a clip of the Lakers like Vladi and Cedric Sabalos Talking about how they won't play because of Everything going on. And white men can't jump will likely be one of the final four. This is a great movie. It's all about street ball in California and Venice. The streets all over Compton. So many your mama jokes at the beginning. Oh, just and really all throughout. Mother's an astronaut. Gambling, hustling, ego, Woody Harrelson, Wesley Snipes. Woody Woody plays the country boy act and he's a hustler, but he can really play basketball. And at the at the very beginning, Woody like talking smack on himself is so funny. Man, I'm I'm lucky. Wow, I'm lucky. Oh, I've never hit two in a row. 
I mean, okay, but I've never hit three in a row. But there's just, there's no way I'm hitting four in a row. Ain't no thing. Ain't no thing like a chicken wing. Ain't no thing like a chicken wing on a string from Burger King. Some grade A trash talking. The wife, Rosie Perez, who we all have a crush on, but she annoys us at the same time. Super cute, super sexy, but the voice just gets to you. Like nails on a chalkboard. The whole side story with her and Jeopardy, I absolutely love. She knows seven foods that start with the letter Q, and then she gets on Jeopardy, and that's one of her categories, foods that start with the letter Q, and she just nails it. And the contestants on Jeopardy are looking around her like, what the hell? Uh, that's, That's great. She says to Billy, sometimes when you win, you really lose. And sometimes when you lose, you really win. You know what? You either smoke or you get smoked. Remember that. And also, I can hear Jimmy. I can hear Jimmy. (laughs) When they're in the the two-on-two tournament and they're really playing well and Woody is just trash-talking and he will not stop and he's just pissing off Wesley Snipes. And... And then they're they're winning, and the other team are just getting so frustrated. He's like, I'll be pissing on you. I'll be pissing on you. They win five thousand in the two on two tournament, and then immediately, Woody Harrelson bets the money, his half of the money, that he can dunk. He can't dunk, and he loses it. He has to go back to his girl. Lost the money. She takes him back again. She gets on Jeopardy, she wins the money, she gives him a chance, and he blows it again. That's what I like about White Men Can't Jump. There's not a real Hollywood happy ending to it. It doesn't end where they're rich, and they made the, the NBA, and things are great with his with his girlfriend. It's, a, it's like a starting over, He's figuring it all out again. Okay, make sure to get to It's Me, Gino, B, to vote. For all of those, there'll be uh, new polls coming out with the final four that look like right now it will be Hoosiers, Blue Chips, White Man Can't Jump, and Space Jam as the final four. So remember, next up will be horse racing movies. Start thinking about them, sending in some of your thoughts. I'll start formulating the list. We'll put the polls up next week for horse racing movies. Let's shift the focus to wrestling. Normally, I'm talking WWE on here, but... There was a new wrestling company recently that started, and I'm not talking about like a little independent wrestling company. This is a big wrestling company that's called All Elite Wrestling. They are backed and financed by the Khan family who own the Jacksonville Jaguars in the NFL. So this is a family that has legitimate money, and the person in charge, Tony Khan of All Elite Wrestling, is a huge wrestling fan, and... This is a company that is basically run by Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks. They got together. This all started on a dare. Last year, Dave Meltzer, who covers wrestling, the probably the most well-known wrestling reporter, journalist, basically said he didn't think anyone outside of WWE could get 10,000 fans in, a, in a, an arena for a wrestling show. And Cody Rhodes and the Young Bucks kind of took the bait. They said they thought they could. They put on a show last year that was called All In. 
and they succeeded. They drew 10,000. And off of that buzz, they decided, you know what? These are really, really smart and very forward-thinking people. They've been having YouTube series for a while. Cody Rhodes is the son of Dusty Rhodes. He had a very cush job at WWE. He could have stayed there forever, been right in the middle of everything. Probably never the top best champion type guy, but he would have been right in the middle. Instead, he's, and he would have made a, a lot of money doing so, picking up a very easy check. Instead, he wanted to do what made him happy. He left, he asked for his release, he left the big company, and he went to try to do you know, what made him happy, what, what he wanted to do, and what he thinks he's good enough to do. And Cody Rhodes has been awesome since leaving WWE. I've always been a fan, even when he was in WWE. So this company is all elite wrestling. They now have a TV deal with TBS starting in the fall. Lots of money backing them. And they have a lot of familiar names and voices. Jim Ross. Oh my god, Stone Cold! Stone Cold! Stone Cold! Jim Ross. Slobberknocker. He's one of the lead announcers for All Elite. The ring announcer, Justin Roberts. Giancino! Justin Roberts is the ring announcer for All Elite Wrestling. Producers Dean Malenko and Billy Gunn, former WWE wrestlers. Billy Gunn was also in a match. Bret Hart, my favorite wrestler of all time. The best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. He came out and presented the new title. The championship belt that the wrestlers in All Elite will be fighting for. And he had a little speech and he was involved. The production quality and the the show looked big league. It looked major league. It did not look like a small independent company. And and it shouldn't because they have a lot of money and they have a lot of smart people who know the business well. They show started out with a pre-show where they had a casino battle royal. The rules for it were a little goofy. I would have preferred just a regular battle royal. And I will say that giving them a lot of positive feedback, uh, the the slight negative feedback I'll give was that there were some issues with YouTube at the very beginning. They were streaming this. It was this pre-show live, and then the main show was going to be on pay-per-view, or you could purchase it through BR Live streaming. And they had set up to have the All Elite Wrestling YouTube channel be the place for the the kickoff show, the pre-show. And that was not the case. I was waiting on YouTube and there were a lot of people waiting and the show just did not start there for the first 10-15 minutes. You had to go over to the TNT YouTube channel in order to to get that. So um in order to like the Superstation streaming. So it's a little a little issue at the very beginning. But and they got the show started. Hangman Adam Page won their first battle royal, which means he's going to be facing Chris Jericho in their first ever title match coming up soon. In the battle royal, it was a lot of fun, like most of the battle royals are. Yeah, Tommy Dreamer from ECW, WWE, remember Billy Gunn, badass Billy Gunn. Sean Spears, you may not know that name, but you might remember him as Ty Dillinger, the perfect 10 from WWE. Joey Janela, 
who is great on the indies, very hardcore, real funny, great sense of humor. He'll do anything. Jimmy Havoc, real hardcore. Remember Glacier from WCW? Brian Pillman Jr., the son of the great Brian Pillman. And then Jungle Boy, is who's young, he's actually the son of Luke Perry, recently passed away. Orange Cassidy, who has a great character gimmick. Luchasaurus was in there. And then MJF is a star heel in the making. One of the big takeaways from this show was MJF and how good he is. Incredible on the microphone. He's like like a Rick Rude kind of in the Miz if you put him together. I heard this somewhere else and I can't remember who else said it. But he feels like he's a little tougher than the Miz. But man, he is whiny and you hate this guy and you just want to see him get punched in the face. He will be a great heel for this company and for any company where he wrestles for for, for years to come. The undercard of the show was okay. Solid action. You got a, a surprise appearance from Awesome Kong, who used to be Karma when she was in the WWE for a little bit. And we know her from the Glow series on Netflix also. Then the, the real match of the night was Cody Rhodes versus Dustin Rhodes. Brother versus brother. Brothers in real life. The two sons of Dusty Rhodes. The American Dream. One of the best of all time. Dusty was... Would have been very proud of this of this match with his two sons. This was the match, really the only storyline coming into the show. There's no weekly TV yet. the The show doesn't start to the fall where they'll have a weekly TV show. So there's not a lot of of build to some of these matches. It's just really good wrestling, or everyone's excited because it's a brand new show. But the Cody Dustin feud. Has been in the making for years These two brothers did not get along Very well growing up It's been no secret that they you know, Didn't like each other a, a whole heck of a lot This match was amazing The very beginning of the match Before it started C- Cody did the kind of another. I'll give him another knock though They He did a go- like an entrance That was similar to a Triple H entrance There was a big throne And he, he went and got the sledgehammer His wife Brandy gave it to him And then he took the sledgehammer which is Triple H's weapon and he went up and he destroyed The throne and he smashed it you know Metaphorically hopefully they're gonna They're gonna break the the world and the Walls of wrestling down now and I thought that was a Little goofy maybe it was unnecessary It's gonna do you Man this Cody Versus Dustin Rhodes though really well Told story in the ring if you're not A fan of uh, blood in your wrestling Though you don't want to watch this match there Was blood Everywhere, I mean, gold, uh, gold dust. Dustin got busted open early, and he was just gushing blood everywhere, blood all over, all over the mat. And Cody wins this emotional, intense match. And then after, when everyone thought Dustin Rhodes was going to retire, he looks at his brother Cody and he says, "I need you. I need my older brother. Let's face the young bucks next month. I need a partner." And so it will be. Cody and Dustin to face the Young Bucks In one of the next shows For All Elite Wrestling And that Young Bucks was one of the main events They faced the Lucha Brothers, Phoenix and Pentagon I've had the privilege of calling the Young Bucks In person, I actually interviewed them on TVG Years back Just what you would expect in a match like this Huge spots The the Young Bucks are, are always called You know You know they're in spot fest matches They They have much better ring psychology and they have, you know, better they tell stories in the ring much better than people give them credit for. They've really started to sell well 
in the last couple of years in New Japan, and you know you're going to get entertained anytime you see a Young Bucks match. The main event was Kenny Omega versus Chris Jericho. It was a rematch from their 2018 Wrestle Kingdom match. Jericho won this match with a new finisher, the Judas Effect. Judas of my, Judas of my mind. I become, I become, I become, yeah. I become, I become, I become, yeah. Chris Jericho, he uh, is in the band Fozzie, where he's the lead singer. So he he enters the ring to his own song. Where he's singing He's singing his own entrance song as he walks in It's not like a parody either He's actually a, a good singer That's when you know you've made it Or that's when maybe you've jumped the shark a bit Either way uh, This was a good match This was great After the match He cuts his heel promo Jericho Where he's begging and he's demanding that everybody thanks him And then here comes Oh my god Oh my god John Moxley if you don't know who John Moxley is, that's Dean Ambrose. Dean Ambrose, who just left the WWE, showed up under his former name, John Moxley. He comes in, he beats up Jericho. He comes in, he beats up Omega, and he, him and Omega start battling off into the crowd. It looks like we're going to set up a feud between John Moxley slash Dean Ambrose and Kenny Omega. And then for the championship, we're going to have Chris Jericho versus Adam Hangman Page. Those are your two major feuds going forward. And then you have Cody and Dustin versus the Young Bucks. Right off the top, that's not a bad top three for your next few shows. As far as storylines and feuds moving forward. There's a lot of buzz about this show. It was just their first show, but I thought they did excellent. This was a great, great show. There were no major mishaps, no major issues. Look at how many past WWE players were involved in this. Jericho, Moxley, Cody, Goldust, Tommy Dreamer, Billy Gunn, Bret Hart, Awesome Kong, Jim Ross, Justin Roberts, Malenko, Earl Earl Hebner, the referee. I mean, we're talking about on all levels. In In front of the camera. In the ring. Behind the scenes. Commentary. All Elite Wrestling. Stay tuned for more information about All Elite. Final segment, let's talk some horse racing. So the Belmont is, you know, a week and a half out now. Belmont stakes weekend, that Friday and Saturday though. Whether or not the Belmont's going to be the the strongest race, the undercard races are going to be really, really good. On Friday, there's going to be four graded stakes races. We're going to see Catalina Cruiser return and make his first start of the year. He was one of the better older horses in training last year for John Sadler. He's going to make his uh, first start of the year in the True North against Whitmore and Strike Power. A couple of really good sprinters. The Bed of Roses, we'll see Marley's Freedom, Mia Mischief, Shalone, Heaven Has My Nikki as some possibles. The Belmont Gold Cup will be going long. Arklow, Highland Sky, Hunter O'Reilly, and then the New York, Holy Helena, Santa Monica, Home Reek pointed to that. Then you move to Saturday. The Manhattan, Bricks and Mortar, probably the best turf horse in training right now. He'll be in that race along with, you know, Robert Bruce and Raging Bull. The Acorn, the Kentucky Oaks winner, Serengeti Empress, will be in there with Jeltrain, Proud Emma, Cookie Dough. The Jiper, Turf Sprinters. Looks like Kentaka is going to be in there. And then some of the the logicals, the familiars, 
World of Trouble, Disco Partner, Undrafted, Bound for Nowhere. The Easy Goer is for three-year-olds that are not quite wanting to run in the Belmont. So you have Dream Maker, Mucho Gusto, Nolo Contesto, Last Judgment. Maybe they use this as a stepping stone to the Jim Dandy or um, another graded stakes, one of the bigger graded stakes races coming up in the summer. The Woody Stevens. Row 8 and much better mind control A couple of the, the possibilities in there The Brooklyn going long You'll have some of those distance horses Marconi, Rocketry Then the Met Mile On paper the Met Mile looks like it's going to be the best race That we've seen so far this year We're going to have Pavel, Thunder Snow Promises Fulfilled, Forenzi Fire McKinsey, Coalfront, and Matoli You have a couple good really good, couple really good sprinters Trying to stretch out a little bit And, and see how far they can They can Take their speed And then a couple horses who Maybe a little bit better Going a mile and an eighth Or a little farther But they're going to Try to shorten up For the big prize And the Met Mile You know the Just a Game Rushing Fall Prestige Get Stormy Environs Daddy's a Legend Bo Recall That's a solid group The Ogden Phipps Midnight Bisu Has been the best Older filly or mare In training so far this year She's been awesome She'll face off against uh, Escape Claws Pacific Wind Come Dancing Electric Forest, some probables. It's all for the undercard for Belmont. But let's get to the the, the Belmont possibilities. Right now, there are nine horses that could be running, that are looking like they're going to be running in the Belmont. Let's start with Jovia. Jovia recently won the Long Branch. But it was just a field of four He got an inside post, he drew the rail he So he got to the lead and it was a really sloppy racetrack So you get to the lead in a small field You cut the corner It's in the slop He did deal with a little bit of pressure to the outside That presser, the horse was pressing him Took took a bad step Lost the rider, only three horses finished the race Jovia was well beaten in the Wood Memorial I just I don't know I have a tough time Getting a gauge out of that race and Enough to think he will be a big player I do like Spinoff From what I've seen early on In the Kentucky Derby He he broke pretty well He was hustled along, he was up to 5th He was sitting in a good spot within a few lengths He was in the clear He and What ended up happening though is he's in the clear And horses kind of start to pile up Along the inside and that forces him out A little bit more and he starts to Get forced out even wider he was all in early on I'm not worried about how he finished in that race I just like the fact That he put himself in a good spot And I, and he has run well before Prior to that in the Louisiana Derby He was three deep going into the first turn He sat third, he was just a few lengths off He was behind the top two that they were battling it out He got up to contend without being asked He opened up a length mid-stretch He really kept trying hard He was a clear-cut second that day The fourth place finisher was Country House And Country House came back to win the Derby War of Will, who was ninth, Came back to win the Preakness That's been a strong race so far Everfast Who was second in the Preakness If you go back and look at his year He was second in the Holy Bull On February the 2nd Lots of seconds Then after that He was 8th in the Fountain of Youth He was ninth in the Florida Derby And he was 5th in the Pat Day Mile On Kentucky Derby Weekend he was 60 to 1 when he was 5th in the Pat Day Mile. He was only 29 to 1 in the Preakness. People just don't let the betting public will just put a few bucks on any big long shot, so we just don't see 
70, 80, 101 shots like we used to. But he finishes second in the Preakness. He actually wasn't even the longest shot in the field. He was way out of it. Way out of it early on. 22 plus lengths back. He stayed inside. He saved all the ground. He moved in between horses. And then he went right back to the inside and he closed well to just grab second. I, I just got to make him prove it to me again. After those, the bad form prior to the Preakness. The horse who beat him, War of Will, you know, the trouble in the Derby. You, you, you wonder now, okay. So could War of Will have been competing possibly for a triple crown? Maybe he has a clear trip in the Derby and he still never wins. It's a, it's a fun topic to discuss. War of Will in the Preakness broke really well from the rail. He sat nicely. There were four or five horses who wanted to go to the lead. Just sat right behind him, tucked in perfectly on the inside. He saved all the ground. He ended up, you know, never farther than three lengths back or so. Staying inside, traveling well, got the opening. Easy win. He never looked like a loser. He sat on the golden rail, whichever fast was on. Also, it was a golden rail really all day long at, at Pimlico. War of will. Can he go farther in the Belmont? Can he run, you know, the three races in five weeks? Is this triple crown going to be a little too much to ask of him? I think he'll be an underhorse who will be in the mix. Probably hit the board, but I won't be using him as much on the win end. Sir Winston. And the Peter Pan, it was just a field of five. He was last early. He was away slowly, about 10, 11 lengths off. He angled out at the top of the lane. He really closed well. He was chasing Global Campaign. Global Campaign sat a very close second that day and got a big jump on him. So Sir Winston ran well, but that doesn't always mean you're going to come back and run well in the Belmont just because it's going a little bit longer. Tax is the other interesting horse to me right now, early in the... In the uh, and when I say interesting, I mean a horse who I maybe can play to win from a what they might be value standpoint. Because I think Tacitus and War of Will will batter for favoritism. Probably going to be tough to play either one of them to, to win because I think Tacitus will be, you know, under two to one. Probably not wor- worth a win wager at that price. But Tax was in the Derby last out. He broke out a little bit. There's a little bit of bumping going on. Early, he stayed inside. He was tenth. He was mid pack. He was you know about six off, and he was traveling well behind horses. Once horses started to tire and back up, they, they kind of started to back up into him, and it makes things difficult because you're kind of in tight. These horses are all backing up around you, even if you're not getting knocked. It's just not a great place to be in when you're in tight. You see everyone falling back around you, and you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. Really, I, I didn't think it was bad. He's run well before in New York at Aqueduct. He's a Grade Three winner and a multiple Grade One stake, or multiple graded stakes placed horse in New York. So perhaps he can succeed at the Belmont. Tacitus, his Derby was very good. He did have some legit trouble, and he was running on at the end. And I, I honestly, he's the most of this group. He's the most likely and the most logical winner, and he will be a horse that will be on all of my exotics. Pick threes, pick fours, exactas, tries, supers. But I just don't know if you can bet him to win based on what his likely price will be in the win end. We'll see. 
He was a step slow. He tried to get to the inside, but he got stopped. It was in some traffic. He was pushed back. He was about 10 lengths off. He found a spot in between horses, and then he got shuffled back again. He moved through. He was waiting. He was asked, and then he responded. He shot through. He passed a bunch of horses. He went through like six or seven horses real quick. He showed so many gears where he could start. He could stop. He could change and alter course. It was really nice. He kept trying hard all the way. He looks like the one to beat, and not even just off the derby. If you're playing him off the form prior to the derby, he won the Wood Memorial. He won the Tampa Bay Derby before that. Of this group, he looks very, very tough. Master Fencer got slammed hard early on, but he was able to get to the rail. He was dead last at the top of the lane. He stayed inside, and he really ran on well in the derby. He almost crossed the wire fourth. It was solid. There were really no knocks. Now he has more time to get acclimated to the U.S. He's been at Keeneland and now Belmont recently. But on Wednesday, May the 29th, he stumbled into work in the morning and he is now an inflamed inflamed ankle. The connections have said it's not a big deal, nothing to worry about. But I I just, especially with a horse like this who's kind of a longer shot, you want everything to go right for them heading into this kind of a race, the biggest race of their life. One of the biggest races of their career Intrepid heart I don't think He stumbled a little bit at the start So he was 4th of 5th He was inside after that stumble It, It took him a bit to get going He never really threatened Sir Winston ran right by him Intrepid heart just kind of passed a couple Some tired horses The start wasn't great it wasn't that bad, but I I wouldn't really talk you off of Intrepid Heart. I still think there's plenty of upside with him. I'm just not quite as high on him as I am on a few of the others in here. So right now, as of Thursday, May 30th at noon, there are nine horses pointed to the Belmont. Jovia, Spinoff, Everfast, War of Will, Sir Winston, Tax, Tacitus, Master Fencer, Intrepid Heart. If I, you didn't hear a horse that I mentioned, that means their connections have said Either they're not running in the Belmont, they have not made any, they're they've not made it sure if they are. Th- that's all right now. Those nine. Let's close things out. Santa Anita, Saturday, June the first, the Grade Three Honeymoon. Go to race number seven. I like Hostess in here, and what? However you play. We'll see what the price is on Hostess Hopefully worthy of a a win price If not, maybe a horse to single In some of your late exotics Hostess is a three-year-old filly Who has She's never run a bad race She's raced five times She raced a couple times Overseas before coming to the U.S. First start in the U.S. Wins the grade three Providencia That's on April the 6th Waited nicely at the back of the pack Angled out in between horses Was four deep of five Just kind of wore them all down At the mile and an eighth Which is the same distance of today's The race on Saturday, the honeymoon She comes back on May the 4th And she's floated three deep into the turn It's just a small field of six And she's wide, widest of all Always losing a ground Then caught in behind horses waiting Has to angle around That's a really tough trip 
in a small field and you're not beating a whole heck of a lot. Drayden Van Dyke's back aboard today. I think you'll get more of a take back and try to make one late run versus a kind of wide up early trip. And it looks like there's a couple of speeds in here to set up an off the pace rally. You'd expect and imagine Holly Hundy and sold it to be pushing the pace. And then a couple other pressers right behind them. Probably Dr. Y Song, maximum rate, even overemphasized won't be too far. And that should have a nice early, you know, half mile, three quarters of a mile pace to set up for Hostess to come rolling late. I think she will be very, very tough in the seventh at Santa Anita on Saturday in the honeymoon. The eighth race, not a race we'll be able to bet on. Paradise Woods is going to be the overwhelming, heavy, heavy favorite. And Paradise Woods is going to be facing only four other rivals in the Grade 2 Santa Maria. She just won the Grade 2 Santa Margarita by 10 and a half lengths. She earned 100 buyer speed figure when doing so. I, I don't even talk a lot about buyers, but that's a big number for uh, a mayor. And that's a big number when you compare it to this group. Because she's earned a hundred and no other nobody else in here is is hit the hundred. La Force has hit the ninety-nine a couple times earlier on, but Paradise Woods just beat La Force by ten. There's really no one in, in, in her caliber. The only way that she could stumble a bit in here is if she if she has a tough time trying to sit off the pace, which judge a smidge just a smidge, you'd have to expect. Is going to send from the inside If Paradise Woods starts battling That's the only way she loses But it, she's become a little bit more patient She's be able to sit a little bit more She relaxed very nicely in her big win And if she wins this one She obviously puts herself right there With the top of the division She's not beating much But she's always been thought of As a very nice mare Was it Philly before and now a mare with the, the talent level to compete with the best So even though she is just beating up on Inferior competition and In particular in her last start That doesn't mean she can't step up and, and be competitive with the absolute best Let's go over to Penn National A couple stakes races at Penn National? Yeah, it's a good card on Saturday at Penn National Lots of stakes races throughout the card But in particular I just want to mention one race The 11th race on Saturday at Penn National It's the Penn Mile The Grade 2 Penn Mile And a Thread of Blue is a very very nice colt There's a couple horses in here that are Coming out of the American Turf The Grade 2 American Turf On Churchill Downs Undercar Derby Weekend So A Thread of Blue was a very good second in that race and the Black Album was also in there Casa Creed was also in there We saw Real News run on Pimlico Undercard He was was good. Was a good second The way on paper it looks Like a Thread of Blue Very good speed He can sit a little bit He'll be forwardly placed I think he's going to get caught up in a battle with Real News And maybe even a horse like Empire of War Fluminescence from the outside Probably his best opportunity to win Is if he's forwardly placed Stretching out of a sprint So he'll likely be in the mix too I think that sets up perfectly 
for 40 under. And if 40 under is anything over 5 to 2, I think the 540 under is an absolute standout in here. He was very good as a two-year-old. He won the grade three Pilgrim. He was only six to one in the Breeders' Cup. And honestly, he didn't even run that poorly, beating you know four lengths in a field of 14 when he was sixth. His first start of the year came on April the 20th. So he hadn't raced from November 2nd to April the 20th. He saved ground on the inside. He was three lengths off. He was chasing lone speed of Clint Maroon. And Clint Maroon was cruising. He... 40 under moved up into contention, but when he wanted to go right then, he just didn't have the room to go. I don't think he would have won, but it might have been a little bit closer. When you have your momentum built and you want to go, it's hard It's hard to wait, wait, wait. Is When you get the opportunity, you just don't have the same acceleration. And that's really what happened. When 40 under got a seam, it was just too late. Clint Maroon had been playing a little possum and then kicked clear again and was open up and was was you know in a very nice stride. 40 under finished the race second. He was 5 and 3 quarters lengths clear of third. That was just his first start of the year and he lost to a horse named Clint Maroon who has won 3 in a row for Pletcher and was lone speed. 40 under takes a big step forward and if he is 5 to 2 or over worthy of a win wager. It's going to do it for us this week here on That's What G Said. Remember, folks, please, those five-star ratings and reviews, if you can, get to iTunes, subscribe. If you just punch that five-star rating, if you leave a little comment, one, I'll always know what interests you. So if you tell me you like the wrestling analysis or the horse racing analysis or when we talk NBA, I will know and I'll continue to do that more. And... Every time you punch one of those five stars and leave a comment, it helps me with advertising, sponsors, making a little more money, growing my show, growing this show, our show. It's not my show, it's our show, right? Getting this show out in front of more eyes and ears. So help out if you can, please. Anytime you see, share the show around. If you have a friend that likes basketball and you see one of the weeks we're talking basketball, Tag your friend or send the show to your friend. Let them know. If your friends didn't know wrestling, same thing. I'm always going to talk wrestling. If they're a Dodger or a Laker fan, let them know that we'll have those segments and I'll definitely always kind of focus in on those teams at the very least and how they're doing and entertainment, movies, TV shows, you name it. Get to Twitter. It's me, Gino B. Go vote on the Elite Eight of Basketball Movies. Thanks again, folks. Joey, take it away.